Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hi everyone. And what I have to assume is the world's youngest podcast co-host, Owen. (laughs) Checking in, checking in at almost 12 weeks old. Today, we will be discussing Season 6, Episode 12, The Infamous Scott's Tots. Yes, it is very awkward, Owen. This is my least favorite Office episode. Which is kind of incredible because it is one of the most, well, as I said, infamous episodes. And... We have kind of discussed this before. We discussed this with Dinner Party. I don't... To me, people don't know what awkward means. I don't think this is that awkward of an episode. I guess it's not awkward, it's cringe. Are those two different things? I think it's the same thing. Like, you're watching... You're watching this thing that is... You can't look away from. It is just... It's a... It's a dumpster fire that you're just like, I, I want to stop, but I can't. So you think dinner party is awkward and this is just dumpster fire? No, I don't think either episode is awkward. I think, like I said before, Phyllis's wedding is an awkward episode because Michael is so, so terrible. And Owen clearly agrees with me. Michael is so, so terrible that you just, just like punch him. And as I said before, like dinner party, I to the outside observer, is not that awkward. Now, if someone's someone were to be there, yeah, that's extremely awkward. But here, I don't know. It doesn't feel awkward to me as much as it is. I don't know. I, I it's it's hard to put into words. That's a good that's a good word for it, Owen. Yeah, I. Michael tries to play off what happens in this episode as like him just trying to be a good guy. And I think the naivete of it all is what is just whatever that emoji is, like the the hand like hand to the face. Yeah, like you just put your face hand palm. In your hands. Face palm. Oh my god. Face palm is that's what is so cringe about this. And so in this episode, we see Jim give out an award, Dwight put together a devious plan, and Michael renege on a promise. And we will touch on Dwight's situation first, and then we'll finish with the car crash that is Scott's Tots. We do see a cold open in this episode. It is pretty inconsequential. It is basically... And terrible. Sure. It is basically just Andy and Michael making funny voices to each other. So we'll just skip it and move on. Dwight is still on his get Jim fired kick. And in this episode, we see what is probably his most involved plan to try and make that happen. There are a lot of moving parts. 
And it is not very clear, though, why this plan will work, at least to me, in, in terms of why at the end of it, what happens would be a fireable offense for Jim. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's still unclear as to why they haven't closed the loop on this Dwight being so bothered and offended by Jim having this job. And so part one of this scheme is to have Andy suggest to Jim that there should be an employee of the month program. And Jim's pretty receptive to the idea and thinks, yeah, it's a pretty good idea. Which we know there used to be employee of the month whether that was at the branch or company-wide, because think back to season two, Dwight got said he got employee of the month two times in one month in lieu of a pay raise. And there's a plaque in the office that has listings of employee of the month. So clearly this program did exist and then apparently got disbanded. And so after this meeting with Jim, we get an interstitial with Dwight, which features him basically saying that this is his idea to start the employee of the month thing and that he wants Andy to think it was his idea, I guess, to kind of give himself an alibi or some separation from this scheme for when it does finally come to fruition. Dwight is doing a lot of the legwork for this employee of the month program. He's put together a anonymous spreadsheet and Jim just takes it and runs with it. Right. And we also see Dwight suggesting that there be a cash prize. And Jim's like, I don't think that's going to work out very well. But Jim doesn't say it that way. He says, well, in an ideal world, that'd be great. Which, of course, means, no, that's not something we can do. Especially with a company that's going under. Right. And so Dwight takes that and takes it upon himself to collect like $20 from everybody in the office, which then all of a sudden turns into a $1,000 cash prize. I know. I was like, oh, the math doesn't work out on that. And so they get everybody together for this big reveal as to who wins employee of the month in using this random spreadsheet that Dwight put together. It turns out that Jim is the one that is employee of the month based off of this algorithm that Dwight put together, which probably would just, he just put numbers on there. Yes, this is a whole big scheme because his thought is that he is going to go to David Wallace to complain about how Jim is running this program. And Jim, there's, there's immediate uproar, understandably so, because Jim says, as a co-manager, I'm not in the running, which side note, Jim goes to Michael to run this idea past Michael, and Michael wants to be in the running and kind of balks at the idea that he couldn't be because he's co-manager. So when Jim is the winner, he says, okay, let's just go to the next employee. That number is attached to Pam, even more outrage. And Phyllis says, uh, how does that happen? Everyone's a little skeptical. And Pam defends herself saying, I never took a sick day. I came in early, stayed late. I doubled my sales. And then someone, I think it was Andy, says sarcastically, what, from two to four? 
And then in a one-on-one -on -one with the camera, Pam's like, yup. That is a, a much-used gif out on the internet. Yeah. And right after this, there is a cake delivered with Jim's face on it, basically, I guess, a congratulations thing. And there's a media uproar. This whole thing has really blown up in Jim's face, and it could have been a good morale booster in an uncertain time, but Dwight has doctored the whole thing. And I think what frustrates me about this storyline is that Jim is smarter than this and does not see any of this coming, especially after the Mallard thing. I don't know. It's quite confusing why Jim is not suspecting Dwight's motives here. Yeah, the whole cake thing really should have been the tip-off because Jim's like, I didn't order this. He wasn't supposed to know who the person was until saying the number, and then Andy looked at the clipboard with the assigned numbers. It just exactly. doesn't work. Right. And so as all this is going on, we see Dwight go down to the warehouse, and he calls David Wallace's office and poses as other members of the office quite convincingly honestly yeah he does kevin stanley and toby right basically saying that there's this employee of the month uh-huh there's this employee of the month contest going on and that jim has lost complete control of it and gave himself the award then when people balked gave it to his wife and so everyone's complaining. And the way that Dwight phrases Toby's call is just to say, like, I'm getting worried, I'm scared, things are getting really bad here. So that prompts David to call Jim very angrily, which, side note, again, as we've said before, that anger, we have never seen that sort of anger taken out on Michael for some really dumb things. Things are much worse than how this Employee of the Month rollout went. And so it would appear that Dwight's scheme has worked and that Jim may be in danger of losing his job. Which would kind of be extreme. Very much so. Towards the end of the episode, we see Dwight go into Jim's office and pick out the little recorder pen that we saw him put in there earlier in this season. And Dwight listens back on the phone conversation that Jim has with David Wallace. And it starts off pretty bad for Jim. And Jim is not really trying to defend himself as much as he is just trying to calm down the situation and just say, yep, this was bad. It got out of control. I'm sorry. It won't happen again, blah, blah, blah. And David Wallace immediately changes his tone and just like you know what you're right i'm not mad at you i'm just frustrated with the situation you know how bad things have been blah 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 and dwight is very upset that this is how this whole thing has turned out because really he probably hasn't helped jim but at least david wallace has kind of shifted his anger away from jim and kind of realizes that there is, this is a pretty tough time right now, and so a lot of people are probably going through the same thing that David is. Dwight is just floored at this quick change of tone, and it's interesting to note that David asked Jim if they're still on for dinner the coming weekend. Like, they clearly have 
a very good rapport and a good working relationship. And to end the episode, Ryan approaches Dwight and says, I know what your plan is and I want in. And Dwight feigns ignorance at first, but Ryan says, you left it on the copier. And what it is is this pretty thick document that just says Dwight's diabolical plan. And Ryan tells Dwight that he wants in. And we have to assume that it's a diabolical plan to bring down Jim. Again, like we've said, this just wasn't the best laid storyline because we never knew that Dwight necessarily like wanted this job. Now, we've always known that he thought Jim was a bit of a slacker on the job and, and not doing well. But it this just like seemed extreme. And then to just be carrying this storyline through this far in the season. Yeah. Is there any follow through with Ryan and, and Dwight getting together? No, there's really not. That's, I mean, it, it it is just kind of a funny moment to end the episode on, but yeah, it is a little disappointing that they didn't do something with that. Yeah. And so now let's get into the main part of the story, the Scott's Tots dilemma. And so to set the scene here, we see a group of employees sitting in the vending area and Aaron is going over this itinerary that she asked Pam to check. And Pam kind of just dismisses her because, well, that's not her job anymore. And she's trying her best to separate herself from that. And on this itinerary is a presentation at a local high school for Michael. And Michael really wants to get out of this. And in just a great moment, we hear Stanley just cackling from the back of the vending area. And he asks, has it been 10 years already? What also arises in this moment is this weird thing with Michael having this animosity towards Aaron for some reason. He'd rather Pam go with him to this. Now, Pam and Phyllis and Aaron, since she's newer, have no idea what it is that Stanley is laughing about. And in one-on-one -on -one with the camera, Stanley says that 10 years ago, Michael promised a group of third graders that if they graduated high school, he would pay for their college tuition. Now, Stanley's laughing because he thought that was a ludicrous notion 10 years ago, and he knows it's still ludicrous at this time. And the thing is, everyone in the room knows that Michael cannot pay for these kids tuition he knows they know why he's ducking this presentation and Pam is the one that says no you did a terrible thing Michael tries to stop her and say well it, it was just a nice gesture and she said no this is objectively terrible you have to go and make it right and so Aaron goes along with Michael kind of begrudgingly for Michael and Michael is finally going to go through with this and so he shows up at the high school and we get a glimpse into the things that make Michael an actual nice person and really a good salesman. He That's a really good point, Curtis. He has just this lockbox of a memory that he remembers details about people's lives and so he is greeted by one of the scots tots and 
he is asking her question after question about her life. You know, how's the saxophone going? Blah, blah, blah. And apparently Michael went to one of her saxophone recitals and just commends her on how well she did. And when we get into the actual presentation part of it, and Michael makes a speech, he is addressing each of these students by name and even is able to pick out one that is not part of that original third grade group. What makes this episode just so cringe and awkward is how how well Steve Carell plays this. So these kids have created a rap and a dance and this basic celebration of Michael, which is all that Michael wants in life, basically all the time is this recognition and attention and just love and admiration, basically. And that's what he's getting. But he realizes that he's going to have to burst their bubble. Yeah. And maybe I was just reading too much into it, but it there are times in this episode where Michael, it seems like Michael forgets why he is there and he just gets right. caught up yes. in all of this adulation for him that he's just like, oh man, this is so great. And then he snaps back to it immediately and just like, oh wait, that's right. I have to rip these kids' hearts out of their chest here in a little bit. And so the time comes for Michael to break the news to these kids and to his credit, he doesn't really dance around the issue all that much. As we said before, Aaron was sent there to make sure Michael actually went through with this. And they don't really do anything where like, she has to keep him in check. Michael mostly does this on his own. He kind of tells them what his mindset was when he made that promise. He really took an interest in these kids. He really wanted to help them out. He had nothing but good intentions, but he didn't have anything to back up those good intentions. And you could see that when he says, I really thought I was going to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. That didn't work out, so then I thought 40... Turns out I had less money than I did when I was 30. So that just goes to show that he made that promise, had no ability when he made that promise 10 years ago, and didn't do anything or have a plan by which he could fulfill the promise. Yeah, this is kind of the good and bad of Michael, in that he really he honestly did want to help these kids but the reason he wanted to help these kids isn't as a kind gesture it's because he wanted them to then like him which we have talked about over and over on this podcast so Michael in trying to do a good thing is actually doing a bad thing exactly the He's not a philanthropist. He just gets ahead of himself and says these things in order for people to like him. Like we've said before, that is just all that Michael wants in life. I don't know if he didn't have a good attachment to his parents like as a child, but he just he just craves love. 
I do kind of identify with Michael here a little bit, though, in the sense that given his position in life 10 years ago, he probably would have just gotten the regional manager position maybe somewhat recently. And so he kind of sees his life on this trajectory to where, oh, I'm going to get, I just got this promotion. Maybe in another five years, I'll get another promotion, which comes with a raise. And you just see that build and build and build. Now, is it logical to think that Michael would have been a millionaire 10 years later? Absolutely not. But I kind of liken it to like The Sims where you do all these things and you check all these boxes and then you get a promotion and you make more money and then you just work your way up the ladder that way. And that's not how life works, but sometimes it is easy to get caught up in that where, okay, I just started at this company. Maybe I'm here five years and I can get a better title somewhere else or I can get a promotion within this company. And you just continue to work your way up that ladder in your head when in actuality, the time frame on that is much, much larger. The hardest part about this episode is just seeing the disappointment in the kid's face because they had really planned their life and their college decision around this promise. And the fact that Michael seemingly continued to check in and know about their lives, I'd be curious. I mean, this is global financial crisis is happening. Jobs are scarce. I'd be curious, you know, how this impacted what colleges the kids applied for. That's a really good point about them, about Michael still checking in with these kids because he had to have seen the writing on the wall years and years ago. Yeah. And so he had every opportunity to maybe cut his losses and do a little bit better job of what he does here a little bit later. Now, we know why Michael does not do that, and that's because... He doesn't like it when he makes people upset or people are angry at him. And so obviously that's what was going to happen here. And he put it off as long as he possibly could. And the outcome was obvious. And it's what we see happen in this episode. And so what Michael tries to do to make amends is he spins this pretty well, honestly, in saying that college nowadays isn't necessarily a place that you go it can be anywhere because online classes are readily available for everybody i don't know about that well as far as spinning it well it's it's as good as he could have done and he says that what you will need for that is a laptop Again, the spin looks pretty good here. It's like, all right, I couldn't get you to college, but I can bring college to you. Here's a laptop. Michael does not give them laptops, however. He gives them laptop batteries, which he says the laptops that you can get won't work at all without those. So this is almost as good as a laptop. Obviously, nobody else sees it that way. No. 
you have to imagine, you know, the way that this is described is that these are low-income students. They may be first-generation college students or, or will be the first in their families to go to college. They may not be able to afford a laptop at all. And so it's sort of insult to injury or it's kind of insulting just to get a battery. And I would, last summer I tried to get involved in this program after listening to Michael Lewis's podcast, Against the Rules. Um, and it's a mentorship program for first generation college students. And there's a lot of really interesting and good training that goes into it. And unfortunately for me, um, because of that podcast episode, there was such a huge groundswell of interest in getting involved in being a virtual mentor that I didn't get picked. And then this summer, I could have done it and gotten picked, but I said, oh, I'm going to have our child, you know, our baby's going to be born. I'll probably be busy. I shouldn't sign up. And thank God I didn't because you have to commit to being available at like the same time every week. And I have to say that would have been impossible with Owen, but the reasoning for that is that some of these students, if they do come from just a low income or less stable background, or not all of them are coming from an unstable home, I'm not saying that, but if they are, if they're not just a first generation college student where their family didn't have the opportunity to go to college before them, but if they're really coming from a situation where this program is sort of being their rock for college, you have to be available and ready and a consistent presence for them. So all that to say, Michael's promise is really pulling the rug out on kids that this might have been what was keeping them going. And we do hear from one kid who says after they do the little rap and song you know I had a lot of opportunities to get into the drug game which I'm very curious what that is like in the Scranton area uh -huh. but I didn't because of the promise that you made to pay for my education that's what kept me going that's what I thought of when I got those offers in a, sli a side note here I did find the casting in this episode to be a little problematic because every single student that is in that room appears to be a minority of some sort and so that's kind of painting this very wide brush like it is easy to infer from that as like oh every single kid that is low income and needs help going to college is a minority generation college student my my parents and grandparents didn't go to college on my mom's side now some of my older cousins two of my I'm sorry three of my older cousins did go before me but I didn't have anyone in my you know immediate circle or immediate family who had gone to college and it was difficult to navigate that and I will say that being not having someone that went and got a master's or professional degree, I feel as though I didn't sometimes maximize that decision making or know what I was getting into as far as that goes. And I think that's kind of 
true for that. So I agree with you that painting this with a broad brush of, okay, well, this is just a promise that would only impact persons of color isn't necessarily true. And anyone would take that offer of college. And, and that's something I was going to bring up too. Like college is expensive. It's expensive now. It was expensive when this episode aired in 2009. That's a huge promise. That's why it's such a big deal. These philanthropists go to college graduations and say, hey, I'm going to pay off all your loans. I'll, I'll pay off all your debt for, the, for everyone in this room here. It's a huge deal. I have student loan debt. It is something that significantly impacts our financial decision making. And I will say, it. I will say, Curtis got hosed when he married me because, for tax purposes, because I do public service loan forgiveness, we can't do our taxes married filing jointly. So Curtis gets the really raw end of the deal on that. And it, it impacts your partner, it impacts your life. And I will say that yes, it is something of my own choosing, but I think that's what makes this episode so cringe is that was going to be, that was just life-changing information that Michael promised to people without having anything to back it up, like I said, and then he just waited to the last minute. This is sort of all feeding into Michael's own ego here. Yeah. For the record, I I do not feel like uh, I got hosed in marrying you. We, our financial situation is just fine. We do well enough to where your student loan debt isn't like this anchor that is weighing us down that it is to many many other people agree we are not in dire straits like like some are and we were able to pay off your loans somewhat easily i I mean it took effort but right but somewhat easily you know with making that effort it's just something that you think about when you're an 18 to 22 year old, I mean, I didn't know what I was necessarily signing up for as far as, you know, sign on the dotted line. And then the interest is what's a kicker um, on it. You know, for me, I will never touch the principal of that debt. I think that that's the lens that I'm coming at this episode with a little bit. And then just how much that knowing that Michael put it off seven times before telling these kids and, you know, what is it? Maybe towards the end of the first semester, kids are making their college choices, they're making their applications. This could have really uh, tanked some of their futures. Sure. And then back to the point that I made just about the problematic casting is, like I said, it is a classroom full of minorities and so of course they did a rap. Like right, right. the writers were just like, okay, what what can they do? They can do a rap, right? Uh, yep, good. Let's do it. And like you couldn't have thought of literally anything else. And so as Michael and Aaron are leaving, one of the students comes out to say comes out to talk to Michael and like you said, 
he's like, hey, I had every opportunity to not do as well as I did. And this was the only thing that kept me going. How could you do this to us? And Michael tries to make amends by offering to pay for just this one kid's books. I know. I think that's what's like really uh, also tough too. Like he just happened to go after him and it's going to maybe get a little bit of help out of it. And so the kid's like, yeah, the books are going to be a thousand dollars. Michael's like, all right, no thousand dollars. Not too bad for four years. And the kid's like, no, 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 that's a thousand dollars every year, which yes, that is if there is a bigger ripoff in the college system, and there are a lot of them in the college system, it is books in that companies will put out new editions every year, every other year, and change like eh, two or three sentences in the entire book. And then you're, you enroll for the class that needs this book, and you are forced to get a brand new book because it's been updated so you can't use version 9 you have to get version 10 and you can't that means you can't rent version 9 you have to get brand new version 10 and that's like a $500 difference in price it's ridiculous and I thankfully went to an undergrad university that let you rent your books now you weren't allowed to write in them which some people disregarded that rule Pro and a con for sure, but it definitely saved on textbook costs. Now, my first year in law school, my first semester, went to the bookstore. I am pretty sure I dropped a check for, I want to say it was eight or nine hundred dollars for books for four classes. Then I started looking into different services. Chegg, don't know if it still exists. I'm pretty sure it probably still does. It does. I, that's what I used for my uh, online classes when I first started those, um, when we first got together. Yes. That is an amazing service. It is really, I mean, how someone didn't start that sooner, I mean, I guess that would have been the time of startups, but that is a great service, and that saved me a ton of money, and I ended up only buying the books for the classes that in law school that I wanted to keep them for. Primarily my environmental type classes, the work that I'm doing, I didn't need it for classes that I was kind of taking to either round out my schedule or it was something of interest, but just of interest. Like I wasn't going to specialize in that area of the law, so why pay a couple hundred dollars for that book? So I hope there has to be more services like that now, I would say. I'm pretty sure Amazon is in that game now. Okay. Um, well, shockingly, yes. That, I would say unshockingly, actually, I'm sure they are. And that's what it really should come down to. Like Curtis said, you shouldn't be forced to get the latest version of a book just to line the pockets of like a textbook company. Related, though, one of the top moments of college life though i don't know if you experienced this is book buyback day no i didn't oh yeah if you it's it's kind of it, it there is it's funny how like the college system is built off of giving 18 19 20 year olds major decisions to make involving generally large sums of money like for example 
student loans. Hey, here you go. Here's this. Here's a ton of money to pay for your college that you won't have to pay back for like six, eight years. That is not how that works. Generally, like not not six to eight. Okay. You get a six month grace period. Whatever. Sorry. In five years, my bad. Here's all this money that you. Oh, I thought you were saying that you you don't like the loan doesn't come due for five years. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, like you know you're not paying back the loan while you're in school. As long as you're in school, you don't have to pay back the loan. I see what you're saying. And so here's a bunch of money you don't have to pay for it for another six years, and to an 18 year old you're like, oh yeah, that's forever. Sign me up. And then six years later you're like, oh boy, that may have been a mistake maybe i should have tried harder to get a scholarship or something like that book buyback day is hey remember all that money you spent four months ago here's part of it back in straight cash okay i did do that my first semester of law school but it was like a third of the amount oh yeah it's not it is it is not it is not even close to equal amount but if you spent five hundred dollars on books and you got $80 of that back in cash, you know that money's not going back to your parents who probably paid for those books. No, that is going straight to the bar. Exactly. Yeah, so since we rented an underground, no, we didn't have that day, but... um. Yes, so now you have a bunch of 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds walking around with large sums of money that is like, well, guess what I'm going to do with this? And so on the drive back to the office, Michael is in a very sour mood. He feels bad for what he's done. He probably also feels bad that a bunch of people are angry at him. And as you mentioned before, Michael has spent a lot of this episode being very mean to Aaron for seemingly no reason. And Aaron comes through in this car ride saying that she spoke to the principal And the principal said that the average graduation rate for that school, it was something like 30%. Yeah, which is not good. No, it's extremely low. And that the Scott's Tots kids had like a 90% graduation rate. Yeah, 90% were on track to graduate. Yeah. And so Aaron puts it in a way that Michael can understand is it's like, even if Michael didn't come through on his promise and probably made that promise with bad intentions, not bad intentions, False false pretenses. Thank you. He still made an impact on these kids lives because they are now in a position to go to college that when otherwise they probably would not have been. Now, yeah, I struggle with the false pretense. Sure, yes. It, it, you can say, you know, they're this, yeah, how they got there wasn't the greatest, but, you know, it's, it's glass half empty, half full. Do you look at it that way? Or, well, who cares how it got done? These kids are now, may, are probably going to be more successful than they could have been before. Yeah, it's a tough call. I mean, Erin is making a good point there. And part of part of it on this drive back is she keeps singing the rap. Yeah. Uh, and so that does cheer Michael up. And he says that, hey, you're doing a really good job. I like you. 
And that's pretty much where the episode wraps up. So let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about the episode. This episode is BJ Novak's directorial debut. It was written by the two... It was written by two writers who play the warehouse guys. So think back to the season five episode... Uh, Where Michael buys weed. Yeah, the frame toe weed. It's yeah. written by those two. So filming this episode was rushed for some reason. I didn't find out why. And so on that drive back with Aaron and Michael, the it's not filmed in HD. It's filmed in the like three to four letter box is what it's called. And it looked and I noticed that when we were watching the episode, I'm like, that's weird. Why did our TV do that? But that's just how it was aired, which is kind of funny. To I me. guess I hadn't noticed that. So the cost of tuition for 15 kids in the 09-10 school year at a private university, I should add, would have been about $2 million. Uh, so that was just, yeah, never, never going to happen, especially for that large of a group of students. Yeah. And I looked at just some of the reviews of this episode, and it is widely considered the most awkward and uncomfortable episode of The Office. It was panned somewhat widely, though it was had some very weird high ratings, I thought. Like, people thought this was such a great episode. And there were some, no like we had mentioned about the Jim Dwight plot, for some people that was getting stale and I agree with that you know you just have the setup now is that Michael is doing his crazy antics and Jim's just trying to keep the office functioning and then you have Dwight trying to take Jim down and Jim is too blind to realize it like that's kind of just the the setup of all the episodes and then plug in just different jokes Curtis who gets fired this episode we probably lose Dwight for actively trying to fire get Jim fired and this is probably his most extreme way of doing so and most impactful way of doing so and so probably Dwight and for impersonating other people to David that's a good point yeah it is his fourth firing this season it's his 26th overall internet what is your dundee for this episode Dundee Award is most technically challenged and it goes to Michael for how he uses his email and we know that Michael is not good at technology we watched him try to set up PowerPoint in season four we watched him try to set up a Blackberry so he has Aaron cleaning out his inbox and he sends it sounds like he sends blind carbon copies of emails to himself to know that they were sent. And Aaron points out, well, you know you have a sent folder for that. Like, do you want to just delete that? He's like, no, 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 keep. And he has a lot of, like, spam subscription emails in there, it seems like. And this is, again, we've talked about this previously. This is when people would use their work email as, like, their personal email. You bring up a good point. We lose Michael in this episode because one of these emails is a pornography site. Yeah, okay. 
That's a good point. You are right about that. So that is Michael's sixth firing this season. It's his 54th overall. What is your Dundee? The That Makes Sense award goes to Kevin because in the car ride, Michael asks Aaron, what does she want to get out of this job? Where does she want to go? And Aaron says, I would like to be an accountant, but that doesn't work because I am not very good at math. And Michael tells this anecdote about how when Kevin applied for a job at Dunder Mifflin, he was actually applying for a warehouse position. And Michael just saw something in Kevin that he hoped Kevin would grow into. And so he gave him a job in accounting. And obviously, Kevin is not very good at his job. And now we know why. It's because he wasn't made out to be an accountant. And honestly, from what we know about Kevin, he probably wouldn't have done that very well in the warehouse either. Yeah, you're probably right about that. Who is your employee of the month? I chose Stanley because just how he talked about the Scott's Tots thing and just laughed about it is very classic Stanley. He did not have a lot of screen time, but he made the most of it for this episode. Who is your employee of the month? I'm going to give it to Oscar because in an episode where they are actually giving out an employee of the month award, Oscar is probably the only person in the office that actually would deserve that award. That's a good point. So that does it for this week's episode. Please follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And be sure to keep listening to us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you can in order to keep getting our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you next time. Bye.